Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Good and Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at gunnageeknetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On this week's episode, Nick Fury is headed to Disney+. Plus. Kingdoms of Amalur gets a re-reckoning. And what's in the box from Turtle Beach? All this and more as we once again delve into the pop culture cosmos. Welcome to the pop culture cosmos. And we're back with another episode of the pop culture cosmos. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos, Game Source, Inside Sports Fantasy Football, and the Lakers Fast Break. We truly appreciate everyone out there listening to all of our great shows, and if you can, please give us that five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Plus, if you can like, share, subscribe, follow, do whatever you can to help us out, including throwing out some Facebook gaming stars. And if you do, it is truly appreciated. But it wouldn't be a pop culture cosmos without my good friend, he's our own moon boy, of Pop Culture Cosmos. Got to check out what he's doing today at popculturecosmos.com, including his great review of Arcageous Revolution that just came out. Plus, check out his podcast, Topicocalypse, and the Super BS Gamescast, and of course his awesome book, Congratulations You Suck, which you can get today on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. And in fact, since I've been waiting so long for a review copy, I just had to go ahead and get it myself on Amazon finally. It is my good friend. It is Josh Peterson. What's up, man? I feel honored that like you went out and bought a copy of my book. I know. Yeah, there it is. All right. Well, I'm expecting an honest review, all right? Oh, you'll get one. You'll get one. Yeah, seriously. Seriously. <laughs> there we go. Big shout out first off to our good friends at Voice from the Underground. I want to go ahead and give a shout out to them. If you can, give them, please, some love. Listen to their great episodes today at Voice from the Underground. I know you've been checking out some Moon Boy on Hulu, so that's why I dropped it off first of all. So I want to hear your thoughts on what's going on with Moon Boy before I go ahead and give everybody a prep on what's coming up on today's program. So Moon Boy has been out since, I want to say, 2015. I could be wrong, give or take a few years. Anyways, Moon Boy <laughs> is about. It was made by uh, Chris O'Dowd, who you know he started in like HBO's Family Tree, and he was in This Is Forty. He's been in a lot of. Uh, he's in the recent remake of Get, the Get Shorty television series. But anyway, he's from Ireland. He's an Irish comedian. He does writing. He produces shows. So this the show Moon Boy is about this kid who. You know, his last name is Moon, his first name is Martin, but it shows like life 
for him and it's like basically like an irish sitcom right you have life except there's no like studio laughter uh it's the show is basically about him and his friend growing up in Boyle, uh out in ireland and like kind of just the struggles of that and how he lives with his his mom and dad and he has three sisters life growing up in that town like what things are like in ireland in the late 80s and early 90s and chris o'dowd and this the thing that makes the show funny is this kid has an imaginary friend who is played by chris o'dowd who, so chris o'dowd writes and writes the show and he also stars in the show and so he's this imaginary friend and it's just funny like having chris o'dowd like echo what this kid is thinking you know those of us who grew up in the you know whether it's the 80s or the 90s like it's just it's a nice like nostalgia trip right like they have this episode where he's trying to save up money so that he can buy a sega genesis which was the master system in the uk he's saving up money so that he could buy a sega i don't know it's just it's a nice way to remember what life was like back then you know you go to people's living rooms they have the ugly couches wood paneled walls they have wallpaper everywhere like it I don't know the show like it it's hilarious it's really funny but it just like it makes me feel good to watch it unfortunately there's only three seasons you can watch them all right now on hulu but i don't know if you if anyone out there gets a chance like i'd love to hear your thoughts on it like maybe the show is funny to me because like i usually watch it at night when i'm tired but i honestly feel like this is this is a great show like and they just there aren't shows around like this anymore like shows that truly don't embellish you know what it's like to live that family dynamic like these are things that you know, in this show, these are things that people truly do experience, you know, and then and it's it's funny because you're like, oh, that's right. That's happened to me before, you know, so I don't know if you ever get a chance, man, watch a few episodes of Moon Boy. Let me know what you think about it. But like, I am really digging this show. Absolutely. And speaking of the 90s, my friend, which you touched upon and the Sega Master System, obviously the Sega Genesis that you talked about, I will be having a conversation coming up this week on the Friday's PCC Multiverse with the directors of Console Wars, Blake J. Harris and Jonah Tulis. Blake J. Harris, which actually you got me turned on to as far as the book is concerned because he wrote the book Console Wars, and then he got a chance to direct it with Jonah Tulis with Evan Goldberg and Seth Rogen, executive producing, who have done an outstanding Ooh. job, you know, obviously with the, with the boys and all that, which will go on here in a few minutes. But I will be having a conversation with them coming up here that I'm going to put on the PC Multiverse on Friday. At least we're scheduled to go ahead and do this week, so I'm hoping that'll come off. And I'm just truly thankful to both those guys who hopefully will be taking the time to speak to me this week for it. So it's been a big success on CBS All Access as far as... So if you get a chance, the Console Wars documentary is available now on CBS All Access and also read the book as well. That's awesome. That's that's rad. Yeah, I'll be looking forward to that. Again, if you get a chance to really go down as far as Sega versus Nintendo, Console Wars, the documentary on CBS All Access, and I will be interviewing the directors of that documentary, Blake J. Harris and Jonah Tulis, this week at the PCC Multiverse. We've got a great show on for everyone today. I want to give everybody a big shout out what we're heading up to. The boys, speaking of what we were talking about with Evan Goldberg and Seth Rogen, they have a massive success in the boys, and a spinoff is on the way. So we'll talk about that coming up. Just recently, Cobra Kai was a huge success on Netflix. The latest success is Enola Holmes, so we'll talk about that coming up here as well. There's a new Hawkman in the future for Black Adam. We're going to re-review 
because I actually had some feelings before way in the past, but I'm going to re-review Kingdoms of Amalur, Re-Reckoning later on in the show. We've got coming up for you an excerpt of an interview that I did with Jeff Perlman, author of the number one sports biography out there, Free Ring Circus, detailing the Lakers dynasty years of the early 2000s. And also, we're going to be talking about some other great things, including I've got a box right here I got from my good friends at Turtle Beach. What's in this box? We're going to have a live unboxing at the end of the show. I had a chance to meet them at TechFluence, so I want to give them a shout out. Eric at Step3PR, you know, I had a great time talking to them at TechFluence. Send us out this box from Turtle Beach. What's in it? I'm not quite sure, but I'll go ahead and open up for you on today's program. we got to get us started off right now, my friend, with Nick Fury. Samuel L. Jackson gets the call for his own TV series. I'm just going to say it like this, my friend. He is one of my favorite characters in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Always has been and always will be. This is way overdue. What's always like kind of killed me about that character is the fact that like no one ever got closure on anything that he did. He comes and goes, and that's fine. But, I mean, with Endgame, we got a sense of finality with a lot of the characters there. Like, they didn't so much have to die as much as, like, we got closure on the story arcs that have been running forever. But what we didn't get closure on was Nick Fury. You know, we didn't get to really, like, dive into what ha- I mean, granted, like, he disappeared in the snap. But, I mean, we didn't really get to experience anything about what he was going through. So it's nice to see him make his way back on. I know that that was kind of an inevitability. Like it was, it was going to happen regardless, but it's nice to see it like finally coming to, do we know what he's going to be on? Is it, is he just going to be cameoing in some of these shows or is he getting his own show? No, he's getting his own series. He's absolutely getting his own series. It's going to probably what in the next two, three years, I don't know where it's going to fit. If they're going to prioritize that ahead of some of the shows that are doing, I don't think they are. Let's, let's just say, that it's going to happen at some point in time after what Hawkeye, Miss Marvel, She-Hulk. If it happens after all that, then you're probably what 2022, 2023 at the earliest. But if it does happen before that and they prioritize it, then you might see it as early as late 2021. We're not sure yet exactly what the timeline is and how it's going to fit. We do know that his character right now is on the space station and they're setting up the foundation for sword there if people are familiar with shield already and the organization and how that fell down and and how that broke up and then all the residuals effects there and the agents of shield series and all that sword is more of a force that's going to protect citizens and all that from outside the earth and it's more space-based i guess in theory although they will have elements on a ground level as well. But yeah, I'm very interested and intrigued to see what he's doing. In fact, does he recruit more Avengers? The hints are that he will be recruiting more Avengers movies coming up down the road. And I'm very excited to see Samuel Jackson. I mean, seeing him at any point in time, he's always entertaining. He's always been able to go ahead and spice up this character continuously that could have been done by another character to death and we would have been bored of but his presence is always something new and interesting each and every time on the screen as nick fury so i'm intrigued to see where this series could go and how it develops sword or how it develops the future of the avengers movies down the road so my one hope for this is that 
we get to see the reuniting of Nick Fury and Phil Coulson. There you go. Well, he's got, not like be, he's got much to do right now. Yeah, I mean that's that's like my dream request. I also hope that like this doesn't. I mean, there are no like contract issues. Should we ever want to see Nick Fury back in the MCU? Because like he is an MCU character. Like he should not be limited to just being on the small screen. Like I would love to see. No, him no, he's going to be in and out. Movie. That's fine. I mean, that's the. I. It, it's nice to be able to see what he's up to. I would just like to see him, you know, back on the screen with like Captain America again at some point. Well, I don't know if Captain America, because you know that's that's something you're gonna have to talk to Chris Evans about. But I'm sure he's going to play an integral role in whatever the future has for at least the short term future. Ha- you know, the Avengers have because he is seven years old. So you, I don't know how much longer they want to go ahead with them, but. I can. I think they can get another at least good three to five years out of what Samuel L. Jackson can bring to the screen. So that would mean more appearances in the movies and obviously a TV show that's centering around him and his work with S.W.O.R.D. or trying to get more Avengers. So I'm very curious to see where this goes. I have really been a big proponent of his work as Nick Fury. I think he has helped not only on the screen, obviously getting all these Avengers together, but he has been, to me, one of the big reasons why the MCU has gotten to the point where it has, because his presence as a character, his forcefulness in his character, in the way that he was very confident that the Avengers would ultimately come together to help save humanity and to help save the universe. and. I'm I'm just like I said I'm a big fan of what he's done and the way that Kevin Feige Samuel Jackson have let this character be who he is has been a big reason why the MCU has just garnered so much success. It's just one of those foundational underlying reasons that's been present throughout. Like he has carried a narrative thread ever since Iron Man and like he doesn't necessarily have to be in every movie in a certain requirement, you know, in a certain, like he doesn't have to be in every movie for a certain amount of time. He can just be in a few movies for like a few minutes at a time. And you just, you feel the way that he just connects everything. And that's really cool. It is really cool. So I am looking forward to whenever, whenever a Disney plus series with Nick Fury comes out. I mean, you like, again, you have obviously Falcon and the winter soldier is Marvel. She Hulk Hawkeye, you have all these outstanding series coming in and of itself. So if you're talking about a pecking order and you're talking about when this may come out, let's say Nick Fury's series isn't prioritized ahead of any of these series. Moon Knight. We almost forgot about Moon Knight as well. I mean, that's five series right there. So I'm not sure exactly when they're going to go ahead and have a Nick Fury series. But here's hoping that it will come the MCU sooner rather than later. What are your thoughts out there on a Nick Fury TV series coming to Disney Plus? Do you think like Josh and I that it's long overdue or or are you just waiting to see what he's going to do as far as advancing the MCU, getting more Avengers or seeing what he can do for the sword organization? Share us your thoughts. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Hey, this is Chad from Ghost Toasters, and you're listening to Pop Culture Cosmos Podcast. For the latest news and information, 
analysis, and opinions on the Los Angeles Lakers and the NBA, check out the Lakers Fast Break podcast today on wherever you get your podcasts. Well, my friend, there's so much more to talk about on today's program. I want to thank everybody for listening and watching us on Facebook Live and also listening to us from around the world on radio stations worldwide and, of course, wherever you get your podcasts. The boys. We talked a little bit about Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg's latest success as Console Wars has been a huge, huge critical success on CBS All Access. And please, if you haven't checked it out, you need to check out this documentary. It's very, very good. Actually, Marcus de la Garza and I spoke about it on our PCC Multiverse that dropped on Friday. But I want to ask you this, my friend. The boys just have done an amazing job. I'm going to tell you here some of the kind of numbers that Deadline.com's been dropping on it. But a spinoff, of course, with such a massive success on the way, are you interested in delving into more into the universe of the boys? So here's where I stand on that. Like, yes, I would check out the spinoff, but like the boys is a really heavy show. You know, it's funny. It's cool. It's dark. It's, but it's also like something that I don't mind visiting just once a year. Again, like I would definitely check the spinoff out. Like I would love to see what what's going on with it. And maybe it is something that would captivate me. But The Boys is not a show where I was like, I wish we could have a spinoff series for this show. I just, I don't know. Then again, like like I said, you know, it could be something that really enamors me, and I could be all on board for it. But at this moment in time, I just like The Boys, great show. But again, just so heavy, so much content. And like even like undertones in this show, like I just feel like having two seasons to watch in a year would be too much. Well, again, this show is going to focus on the one that they're putting right out of fast track to series, according to Deadline. They're just fast tracking this. It's basically going to be a spinoff that deals with the Vought Corporation, which is the maker of Compound V and the creator of all these superheroes that... There is going to, I think, go into a a kind of like a school, a high school type environment, I guess, that's run by Vought, how the the students interact with each other as they have their superpowers and things of that nature. So it's going to go into that. It's kind of a different beat from what we're seeing with uh, what's going on with the boys, which is, like you said, very adult, very hardcore, very dark, but still very irreverent and funny and all those things put together. It's been a huge success. It is this year is not as like slam bang gotta throw everything but the kitchen sink at you because they didn't know their future in season one so they had to throw so much out there at you season two has been very good very 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 good and but it's been more character development it's been more about developing those characters within the confines of the seven and also the boys and everything around it more than just the boys versus the superheroes, so to speak. So this has been more of, we know we just got approved for two seasons by Amazon. We know we're a success now. We can go ahead and develop these characters a little bit more. So I think everybody is still appreciating what's going on here because it's getting more into the lore. And the way that they're going into more of the story is it's just been so fascinating with the boys. I want to drop some numbers that Deadline had reported. The boys' first season was such a massive success, and it already has set the viewership mark, according to Deadline, for Amazon 
for 2019. That was its most popular show ever. But in the first two weeks, season two has nearly doubled the season one worldwide audience by almost 89%. And it's been drawing millions of new viewers each week according to Deadline. So I want to hear your thoughts with this kind of massive success and the spinoff on the way and all that. Are you still taking the time to enjoy the boys? I mean, Voice from the Underground just said he had to go ahead and catch up on the last two episodes of the boys. It's still wild. It's still irreverent. It's still crazy. It still brings in all these different scenarios. But truly, it seems to be connecting with a worldwide audience. You know, like I said, I just finished Umbrella Academy a couple weeks ago. You know, I've been watching a couple episodes of The Boys, you know, when I get a chance. You know, I love, what's her name? Aya Cash, her new character. What's what's her name? The weather? She controls weather or something. Stormfront? Stormfront. Yeah, I love her character. I love how that's like what would happen if you gave like an an influencer a superpower you know i love that dynamic i really do enjoy what's going on in the show i i'm at episode three right now but i mean i'm I'm digging it you know like i don't get me wrong i'm a huge fan of the boys love that show but it's just like it's something i've been kind of digesting a little bit slower this time around just because like you know like i said it's a very heavy show and like i'm also made the mistake of like starting four other shows at once so uh you know, I'll have more to say when I watch more. But yeah, I mean, I'm digging it so far. And I, I really love like the expansion of the uh, really developing more on characters. And like, I love seeing how a lot of the people that work at Vought are seeing Homelander for what he really is. And, you know, he's he's a he's a psychopath. And uh, it, I don't know, it's a, a lot of interesting arcs are opening up. And I would hope to, that they continue to follow those because to me, the interesting part is not the heroes. It's the people whose lives are wrecked by the heroes. Absolutely. And it's so funny to see that dichotomy of what's going on between, like you said, the the heroes themselves that do the damage and those that are damaged by it. And it's interesting to see the stories from both sides. And again, this season looks to be more about more character development, more, hey, we know we've been approved by Amazon for two years now. We know we're doing well. We can go ahead and slow down just a little bit on the action, but provide you more in-depth looks at not only the way the characters work with each other, but the characters themselves. Go into their past, go into their history a little bit more, find out a little bit more backstories, not only on the boys, like Frenchie, we've been uh, learning about in recent weeks. And so many other characters, Kimiko, we've been learning about her backstory and things of that nature and her past and some of the things that have gone on with some of the seven as well. We've been learning more about them and just the quirky nature. It's just, it's funny. It's irreverent. It's it's also very adult. It's very graphic, but it's just so many of these things that still appeal to us and the way it's telling its story and its narrative, I think it's going to be closing out because I'm on, I think I just saw the latest episode, which is episode six, I believe. And I think it's just really heading towards a great conclusion of the season. And I'm looking forward to catching the rest of it. But like you, I'm I'm trying to digest this as I'm digesting several other series at the same time. I know it's hard because it, it's so much different from a lot of these other series. But I think when it comes down to it, remember, it came along at the time that uh, the Umbrella Academy and Doom Patrol also came out. And all three of these shows have seen various levels of great success. And all three of them I put in that same kind of anti-hero, 
trying to be hero, not really hero type deal as far as that's concerned. But I, I've seen real successes with each of them. But the boys has been just a little bit above those two as far as achieving a level of success because now it's considered one of the most popular shows on any television or streaming format. Yeah, and I mean, I totally see why. Like, it's everything about the show. It's well-written. The cinematography is amazing. Like, the content of the show is, you know, like we keep saying, super heavy, very adult. But it's really something, even despite that stuff, like, it's something that you just cannot look away from. And I think, like, that's the shock factors where it gets a lot of appeal. And, you know, it works for a show of that style. Absolutely. And I'm looking forward to, again, more episodes of The Boys there's a spinoff on the way, taking it into a different turn. So if you're interested to seeing more of the boys, we'd love to hear your thoughts. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. And if you're really excited for the season now at hand and what's coming up in the future of the boys, again, we just want to hear your thoughts out there. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Before we hit the half hour break and an interview that I've got coming up for everyone. So I want to give everybody a special shout out right there because... We've got coming up for you an excerpt of an interview that I did with Jeff Perlman, author of the number one sports biography out there, Free Ring Circus, detailing the Lakers dynasty years of the early 2000s and Kobe and Shaq and Phil. And I really had a great conversation with him. The full conversation will be on the Monday's Lakers fast break, but if, I'm going to go ahead and play a few minutes for you coming up right after the break. But before we do, my friend, I want to ask you this. Enola Holmes is the number one movie and entity right now on Netflix, replacing Cobra Kai. So I want to hear your thoughts on Enola Holmes, which is Millie Bobby Brown's latest movie. Has an appearance by Henry Cavill in a supporting role. It's gotten a lot of hype. Mixed reviews so far on it, but again, mixed reviews don't seem to stop the popularity of something on Netflix. Yeah, it's interesting. I've been actually reading up on this show. I saw the trailer on Netflix. I just added it to my queue last night, so it's something I do plan on sitting down to watch. From what I understand, like the Millie Bobby Brown did an, an amazing job acting in the show. And like even if people didn't like it, that's one thing that they can agree on is that like she really held her own in the show amongst even a star like Henry Cavill. So yes, I mean, I am excited about it, and I can see where that dynamic would be good. You know, even just seeing the trailer, seeing how she does she acts more like Sherlock Holmes than Sherlock Holmes does in that movie who is played by Henry Cavill. You know, that being said, I think that there's some kind of lawsuit, right, between like the Arthur Conan Doyle estate over whether or not they had the rights to do a story like this. So like I I get it from that standpoint, but also like Millie Bobby Brown is popular with the young crowd right now. This seems like a great opportunity to get people interested in other stories of that caliber, detective stories, Sherlock Holmes books like that. I mean, I appreciate it from that standpoint. Yes. So, I mean, sorry, I'm ranting. I, yes, I'd like to watch it. What are your thoughts on it, though? Have you seen it yet? I have not seen it yet. It's something that I do have on my queue as well. I mean, Netflix sees a star potential in her. She's really got star potential written all over her as far as her future is concerned. Obviously, her work with Stranger Things, but to have Netflix realize that and capitalize on that with something like this, not only get the movie done, get the movie made, but make sure it's promoted properly. And again, it's reaping those rewards right now as we speak, being the number one movie on Netflix. 
it just goes to show you the power of Netflix when they really want to put something out. I know they've had their controversy of late as far as some of the shows. In fact, one show in particular that has garnered a great deal of criticism. But when they do something right and they put something out there that really gets people interested like Enola Holmes, regardless of the fact that, again, it's mixed reviews on it, they see a star potential in Millie Bobby Brown, and they're willing to go ahead and put her in a platform that gets her to a level which she can succeed. Yeah, I mean, and she is very talented. I feel like Stranger Things barely showcases like what she's capable of, and I think that Enola Holmes showed what she can do. You know, and it's it's one of those things where this could very well be, despite the mixed reviews, it could be something that kind of takes her up to the next level in terms of you know her career and we've seen all year long already a lot of movies that come on netflix that have received a tremendous amount of popularity get mixed reviews i mean we've talked about netflix being the home this year of many popcorn flicks that critics are maybe eh, about but fans out there are loving it i mean we were talking about from Ryan Reynolds' movie to what we're seeing with Chris Hemsworth, and he had one, and Charlize Theron, she had one that had a great success on the platform. So Enola Holmes looks to be something a little bit different from those action flicks with something a little bit thrown in there that's more family-friendly fare that is also hitting big on Netflix. And that's something that they're promoting certain things very well, and they're getting it over to mass audience, which... Some of these other streaming platforms really have to go ahead and take notice on how to go ahead and promote something that they can really get behind and at achieving that level of success. Yeah, I mean, and that's another great thing about Netflix, as we've discussed before, is that Netflix can put things out there not knowing whether they're going to be good or bad. They can just put something out there and people will watch it. It doesn't have to be great. It doesn't have to be terrible. People will watch it just because they can. They have that Netflix subscription and that's something that it goes a long way, but it can also do great things for a lot of up and coming stars. Absolutely indeed. So I know a lot of people out there haven't caught it yet, but still so many others have when it comes to Enola Holmes, number one right now on Netflix. So if you get a chance out there, Check it out and share us your thoughts on Enola Holmes. Is it as good as everybody seems to be enjoying on Netflix? Please let us know. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Coming up after the break for our audio audience out there, it is Jeff Perlman, the author of the number one best-selling sports journalism book out there, Three Ring Circus, detailing the Lakers dynasty of the early 2000s. I'm going to play a few minutes from that interview Again, the entire interview will be this week on the Lakers Fast Break channel, but you will hear an excerpt of that next, right here at the Pop Culture. Video game box art, the stories behind the covers, in which we talk to the illustrators and artists who are responsible for gaming's most iconic images. Don't forget to check out Video Game Box Art, the stories behind the covers, celebrating gaming's most iconic images from the people who created them. This and many more from Rob McCallum Films. Is Gerald Glassford coming right back at you here from Pop Culture Cosmos? We truly appreciate everyone out there listening to all of our great shows. And if you can, please give us that five star review on Apple Podcasts. Plus, if you can like, share, subscribe, follow, or whatever you can do to help support us here at the Lakers Fast Break, it is truly appreciated. 
Well, I know the Lakers are on a fantastic run right now, and we're truly appreciative as Laker fans, but we need to go ahead every now and then stop and reflect on the greatness that is the Los Angeles Lakers. And I want to go ahead, and I have a great guest on today covering one of those awesome eras in time for Los Angeles Lakers fans. Well, it's great, and it's not so great. It brings such fond memories and also some pain when it comes to what could have been, when it comes to the Shaq, Kobe, Phil era of the Los Angeles Lakers of the early 2000s and late 90s as well. And if you're out there and you're looking for an awesome read, you got to pick up the number one basketball book right now on Amazon. And I'm showing everybody on Facebook Live right now, Three Ring Circus, Kobe, Shaq, Phil, and the Crazy Years of the Lakers Dynasty. I have the author here today, New York Times bestselling author. He's done book after book after book on the sports world. And I'm bringing up right now all the books that he has right there at jeffperlman.com. And in fact, I have links to not only his site, an excerpt on ESPN.com, plus where you can buy on Amazon and Barnes & Noble right there in the description in the video. And I also have it on for everybody listening on audio. It is Jeff Perlman. And Jeff, thank you so much for joining the program today. Love that Bucks hat. I mean, I love those years when they were just like in that just bright orange. It just it was just really cool to see. My favorite football player as a kid was Ricky Bell. Oh. Uh, or USC tailback. Yeah. I was very young. But I loved Ricky Bell. So when I think of the cream school Bucks, I think of Doug Williams and Jimmy Giles, Leroy Selman, and Ricky Bell. Absolutely. Well, I was going to say creamsicle because I remember that so fondly on those years when they were, well, they were the Tampa Bay Yucks. I think they were called at that point in time because of their lack of success until they reached greater heights. And of course, this year, everybody's excited if you're a Tampa Bay fan out there with Tom Brady at the helm. So there's great things expected this year in Tampa Bay. But getting to your awesome book, I mean, you have gone through the whirlwind right now. I mean, as they call it in the media and PR and whatnot, you're you're in the car wash right now. And as I tell my guests when I interview them, as far as whether books, directors, authors, what have you, I'm like on the tail end. I'm like at the drapes at the very end of the car wash, just before you get to the dryers. So that is not true. Well, I, okay, maybe you're like I'm halfway, like through the soap and the rinsing and all that. But I'm just part. I'm just glad to be part of the car wash. Wow. Your your book has tr- received tremendous response all over the world. I mean, I've seen list after list after list. ESPN has you just, uh, you know, got a great excerpt there on ESPN.com that people can check out. I mean, you're all over. Just tell me the kind of response you're receiving so far for this awesome book, Three Ring Circus. It's been shockingly good. And I have to say the one thing that really has surprised me I just talked about this with my dad today is obviously I finished the book before Kobe's passing. I was really nervous about the response. What would Laker fans say and how much hate would I get? What would it be like? I haven't gotten one, not one negative response. And I think a big part of that is people kind of know Kobe's reputation. Like it's not a secret who he was and it's not even, it's almost considered part of the journey. Like he went through this phase, he went through that phase and then at the end he was this guy. So I almost feel like I was bracing for a little bit of an impact and it hasn't been nearly as bad. And that's been really encouraging. And the, yeah, the feedback has been amazing. I'm really shockingly surprised, you know? And that's something that people 
when they read the book, they're going to go deep into not only those years that the Lakers were obviously winning the championships, but for me, the fascinating points are, uh, you know, obviously the after. Everybody focuses when they talk about those years on the after and the the ugly divorce that happened between Kobe and Shaq and Phil and all that and the, the harshness and the bad words and the things that and the stories that came out of it. But I love the parts about just before when they were building that team, Kobe coming on as a rookie, you have some great stories there. Uh, you know, is it me or when I think of that team's that was just before the Lakers run and they had guys like Eldon Campbell Eddie Jones, Nick Van Exel, they had players on there that I thought, when you look at it talent to talent, plus they had Kobe and Shaq, they really should have made a larger run than what they did at that point in time. Uh, Obviously, they were still getting to know each other, and of course, you talk about that in the book, also as well, Kobe growing and maturing as a player, but I thought they could have made a better run at that point in time. I don't disagree. I think if you just take sheer in its prime talent, the most talented team Shaq and Kobe were on together, was Nick Van Axel, Eddie Jones, Cedric Ceballos, Eldon Campbell. Now, if you're just looking pure talent. Yeah. Problem is, Ceballos was a pretty selfish player, as I wrote about in the book. I mean, anyone who nicknames himself Chice, playing for the Lakers, the franchise is, is a little crazy. Van Axel was a shoot-first point guard. Yeah. Great player, but a shoot-first point guard and easily frustrated. Or One of the worries was that Eddie Jones and Kobe, their games were too similar. I still think that Glenn Rice trade was a mistake. I think Eddie Jones is a better fit than Glenn Rice, but whatever. Yeah, that talent was was great. But you kind of learn through the years. I mean, we learned with the Peyton Malone year. Talent alone and names on a paper alone do not a dynasty make. And you really had to surround two superstars like that with guys willing to fill slots. Yeah, Rick Fox filled a slot. Robert Orish filled a slot. Ron Harper filled a slot. Mark Madsen filled a slot. Like they all filled slots. And you can't have. It's time old, you know, it's a story that's been told millions of times. Just because you have the five best players on a team doesn't mean you're going to be a good team. Because so we're I not think, doing a five-on-five five at the rec center. We're no. at, This is actually for higher stakes than that. And sometimes even a five-on-five on five in the rec center, I've certainly played pickup basketball where you're like, oh, these guys are really good, but they don't pass to each other. Yeah. And you're going to be like, all right, let's just pass it out of the ball and find the best shot, and you win. So I think the best team, if we're talking about putting it together, you know, was probably um, probably the year they beat the Sixers. Yeah. Oh, 2000, 2001, and they were just sharp and precise and everything was clicking, and I mean, that was the best team. So. That and took, also, they had a great coach. They had a great coach. They should have gone undefeated. It took one heroic performance by Allen Iverson and, of course, the iconic step over Tyron Lue and all that, yeah. which I'm sure yeah. he still you know, is, is in his nightmares today as we speak even though he's won a championship as a coach since, but it's so funny how that worked out. But I'm just so happy for your success. You've been just receiving a, a great amount of praise. And obviously, as as a number one selling book on Amazon, you're a top selling book right now on barnesandnoble.com. If people check that out, I mean, just the praise that you're getting all over for it. It's just so tremendous. Once again, I'm speaking to Jeff Perlman, author of Three Ring Circus. You got to go ahead and get this book if you're a Lakers fan or a sports fan in general today. The links are right below in the description on this video and also I have it on audio. So please go and get that book today. When you cover the Lakers dynasty, it's been covered before those years by various writers and whatnot on other occasions. But when you looked at it and when you wanted to approach this, because you had already covered a tremendous book, The Showtime Era. 
another era that I'm very familiar with as a Lakers fan. What new angle did you want to approach that? What what type of different look did you want to go ahead and have on this for your readers? So in a lot of ways, one thing I've learned just through 25 years, 26 years of being a journalist is the worst thing you can do is actually go in with an angle. Like if you go in and you say, I'm going to make this book about blank. Mm-hmm. Then you're asking, you're setting up a jello mold and you don't actually know what kind of jello is going to be in the mold or what shape would naturally take, right? It's a weird comparison. Uh, <laughs> I get it though. Yeah. Like to me, it's not so much, all right, here's what I want to find. It's I'm going to call everyone and see what I find. I'm going to call everyone. I'm going to Mike Penberthy and Jimmy King and Mark Madsen and guys who played against Kobe against Kobe in summer league in 96 and guys who played against him in 97 and guys who were fighting to make the team and the training camp. And I'm going to call the PR interns and I'm going to call the assistant assistant to the assistant. I'm just going to call everyone. Cause it's funny when you write a book proposal, it's all kind of BS, right? And everyone's yeah. in on the sort of weird thing because how can you possibly know what it would be about before you report the book? Yeah. You don't. So it's kind of a guess, but it's a weird guess. So I didn't go into this book thinking, I want to find blank. I went into this book thinking, I wonder what I'm going to find. And okay, here are the people I need to call. And that's sort of how it went. And the book sort of, as they say, writes itself. Is that correct? If it writes itself, it's really hard. It's a hard work journey. To, for something. I mean, it's not, definitely doesn't write itself. I mean, I understand okay. that meaning, but it definitely doesn't write itself because it's bruising. It's more like you find little moments that fascinate you. It's all right. Here's the best way I can explain it. There's a writer I know. He's a, he's a friend of mine. He's a great, great writer named uh, Lee Montville. He's written a lot of books. He wrote for Sports Illustrated when I was at Sports Illustrated. He's great. And he once was doing a Babe Ruth book. And I said, why would you do another Babe Ruth book? There have been 100 Babe Ruth books. Yeah, but there's never been my Babe Ruth book. Yeah, right? there you go. And I kind of think about it. You're the narrator of this journey, and you decide where this journey is going to take you. And so I'm writing my Laker book, and maybe Mike Penberthy excites me. Like Mike Penberthy's journey, coming out of Masters College, and having Mitch Kupchak saying, yeah, we're, we're inviting you to camp. Hope you enjoy your week there. And, and Mike Penberthy saying, well, screw that. I'm, this is going to be a, if, if that's how they view me, I'm just going all out. And then making the team, and having Shaq notice that he's wearing a jacket he bought at Banana Republic, and saying, you know what, do you own any suits? Mike Penberthy saying, no, I don't own any suits. And Shaq saying, well, I'm going to buy you six suits. Come tomorrow, my tailor will make them for you, right? That little journey spoke to me in a huge way. And 99 out of 100 other writers maybe wouldn't have called Mike Penberthy or would have taken it in a different path. Not better or worse, just different. Yeah. But for me, you see where the journey takes you. And you're this narrator of this journey. And hopefully it takes you in a unique place. And at the end of the day, you can say, well, that's the book I decided to write. And someone else, comes, Roland Lazenby comes along or Howard Beck comes along, or whoever, and they have a different interpretation of it all. And that's okay. That's what makes these books interesting, I think, is different perspectives. And I'll tell you what, you have a great perspective on it because obviously if, if people are out there and they're reading it, they're getting a, probably a, a more detailed look than we've ever seen from those years that I've ever seen as far as anywhere that's been reported or written about. So I, I will tell you this, you've got a high recommendation from me as far as your book. It's just a, a tremendous read. Uh, you know, I'm going through it so far. It's just great. It's just something that if everybody out there is a sports fan, Lakers fan, or just likes a good biography, they need to go ahead and check out Three Ring Circus today. Go ahead, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Audible, the whole nine yards. Actually, there's even audio ex- excerpt of what you're saying. You read just a little bit of it on Amazon right there for you if people want to get a taste. So I didn't read the book, though. They hired someone else. Oh, so. they hired someone else? Okay, because I, I just... 
and I was like, oh, kind of familiar voice from now. Okay, so my bad yeah. on that. But yeah, absolutely. There's a little audio excerpt of that. It might have actually been better if you read it. So they never. I've never read my own book. Never. Really? I don't know why. I don't know why. But they come to you and they say, we want to pay you for the audio rights. And you get more, you get extra for the audio rights. It's not including your book deal. So someone comes to you and says, we want to pay you for the audio rights. And you say, how much? And they say, a pretty good amount. And you say, okay. And then they, you never hear from them again. So. Ah, that's a shame. I'd love to hear your vantage point because sometimes when authors read their own books, you can tell there's certain points of time where they get more meaning out of it. So. Sure. I'll tell you this. My last book was about the USFL, the old football league. Yes. And they hired someone to read the book. And I start getting these calls from people. Like, uh, example, one of the stars of the league was a quarterback named Bobby Hebert, who later played in the NFL. And throughout the book, the audio reader calls him Bobby Hebert. And there are points in the book where he would say, and the Panthers beat the Stars 22 to 7. And he would say, 22 7. And that stuff kills me. Like, it kills me. It's so like fingernails on a chalkboard. Because you know the guy doesn't know anything about sports. And like, well, who reads a score and says 22-7? So that's that's a killer. I hope you one day you will be able to go ahead and, and audio transcribe for your readers out there one of your awesome books coming up in the future. Thank and you. speaking of which, you've got so many great sports books out there. Roger Clemens, Barry Bonds, The Mets, Brett Favre, The USFL, which you just mentioned, which people can go ahead and look at today at jeffperlman.com. And if you're watching right now on Facebook Live, you're checking out right now on his site. I wanted to ask you this. Your time spent on this particular book as compared to those others, what is your main takeaway on your time spent with it compared to the others? I mean, did you enjoy it? Was it less? Was it harder work? Was, you know, just basically something that you were taking away from this as far as an experience? It was the hardest book I've ever worked on. Really? Uh, by far. And a big part of the problem was as we move forward in time, athletes become a little more difficult to deal with. Like they, it's not the people themselves, but it's the circumstances in which they've come along. And they've come along in a modern time where social media sort of carries a day and you don't, there used to be a need, you know, you're writing a book about Walter Payton, all his old teammates are used to talking to the press and they're used to this idea that newspapers matter, magazines matter, and books matter. Also, they're older. So these are guys who are in their 60s and 50s and are just happy to talk. I will tell you this, it was just an extreme honor going ahead and speaking to you. I cannot thank you enough for taking time to speak to me. I know you have so much on your plate right now, but again, it was just truly rewarding to speak to you on today's show. That was my pleasure. Thank you. It's really an honor for me. So thank you so much. Jeff, I wish you continued success and I cannot thank you enough. And hopefully you'll want to come back one day and speak to us again right here at the Pop Culture. If you need your video game fix, be sure to check out Retro City Games. Located in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada, Retro City Games has the cure for all your video game vices. Retro games and games for current consoles, Nintendo, Sega, PlayStation, Xbox, and more. Retro City Games has all the staples from any library and some highly collectible offerings too. So pick up a few games today at Retro City Games in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada. Retro City Games is your video game metropolis. And we're back to close out the show. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. Want to thank 365 Broadcasting for checking out the show today. Truly appreciate you taking the time to listen to us. And again, to everyone out there who is watching and listening to us, we truly appreciate you checking us out here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. 
Remember, in just a few minutes, I will be doing a live unboxing from Turtle Beach. What's in the box? I don't know, but we'll soon find out right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. But before we do, my friend, Aldous Hodge done a great job with the Invisible Man. He is got the job as DC's Hawkman for Black Adam. So I want to hear your thoughts on how Black Adam is shaping up. To me, it is something that DC and Warner Brothers is putting a lot behind. And I really like to see that because Black Adam, I've got a really a lot of high hopes for that after the middling success of Shazam. So the Black Adam movie feels like to me like a Justice League-esque show that they're really banking on should Justice League Snyder Cut not be successful. I am fascinated by this. I'm curious because Hawkman, much like Aquaman, has always been a very like cartoony character. They were portrayed in the comic books was always very, and even in the cartoons, was always very cartoony. So I am anxious to see how Hawkman comes to life. You know, I don't know much about Aldous Hodge. You know, I can just say just by looking at him, yeah, I can picture him wearing the wings, but I just, I want to know, like, how is Hawkman going to be translated into a screen that makes him entertaining and also, like, relatable for people? You know, I wondered the same thing about Aquaman. I was blown away by how Jason Momoa portrayed the character, so I'm hoping that they will do him the same honors that they did Jason Momoa. But as for Black Adam, like, I, I hope that it's good. You know, I hope we don't suffer from too many faces on the screen like the Spider-Man films always did. And even, you know, to some extent, Batman for Superman. But I also hope that it doesn't become their mainstay. Like, I'm really hopeful that the Snyder Cut is successful. But with Black Adam, I'm hoping that will be an integral part of that as we see The Rock's character going ahead and hopefully be developed into something that will be a major part going forward for the DC universe. And Aldous Hodge playing part of like the justice league, like you were talking about with DC's Hawkman doing hopefully a great job of also providing fans and supporters of something really great for the future for the DC universe. What are your thoughts out there on Aldous Hodge playing DC's Hawkman in the upcoming black Adam movie? Shares your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Well, before we head on out, my friend, I had a chance to play Kingdoms of Amalur once again in a re-reckoning version that I want to go ahead and give Evolve PR and THQ Nordic a big shout out at. Had a chance to delve back into that world once again because I delved briefly into that world way back when in 2012 when it first came out. Now, I know 38 Studios, the original parent company of this game unfortunately met an untimely end and a lot of bankruptcies and bad news and poor decision making and scandals and a whole bunch of money that was lost and uh, I think the state of Rhode Island if I'm not mistaken got involved as far as trying to invest in this game and got a lot of money lost from it but it was a game that did come out with some critical praise at the point of time because it was a game that had a little bit of Dark Souls mixed in with a little bit of God of War as far as the combat is concerned. And the story was long and involving like, well, basically like the Elder Scrolls games because Elder Scrolls, one of the people behind the Elder Scrolls series was actually involved with this game. I will tell you my revisiting to Kingdoms of Amalur is almost as good. Not quite. 
simply because of the fact that I don't think they touched up very well. I think the graphics have aged and not aged for the better. I don't think it's a very pretty game. I didn't think it was a great looking game in the first place. I thought it was all right, but it's just not aged very well. But Kingdoms of Amalur, just the way the combat flows, and it's just so fun to play as far as from a combat standpoint, and it doesn't ever seem to get old. So from that standpoint, I really enjoyed it. The inventory system, the way you can access things and pick things up and drop things and utilize things and weapons and spells and things of that nature or create potions, that's all integrated very well. And the ease of which you can get out of it, no matter how big or extensive your inventory gets, that was something ahead of its time. I'm thinking my time in Kingdom Zomalur, and I'm going to have a review of this coming up this week on the PopCultureCosmos.com website. It's been very worthwhile. It's been very good to go back into this game. But Josh, I do want to tell you, this game, along with some others that you've seen in recent past, unless you're willing to dive in a whole bunch of money into it, like Final Fantasy VII, these games, you got to give a grain of salt to when it comes to the, the look of it because they don't age well graphics-wise. Oh, yeah. I mean, a lot of like RPGs from the early 2000s and even you know later, I guess, 2010s, lately have been wanting to go back to play Oblivion or even like Dragon's Dogma. Like a lot of those games, yeah, you, you get what you get, but I guess like it's just what kind of feeling does the world and the story give you? I guess like that's the more important part because... Yeah, everything is very pixelated. Like I went, I was watching a video of people playing Lord of the Rings of Two Towers, and like that game was wow at the time. You know, that was so much fun. But now you game. look at it, yeah, and it's like watching somebody play with Legos. Like it's just the graphics don't even like hold a candle to what things can do today. You know, that's why we get these remakes. But I mean, some games like they're just they're priceless. You know, you just look for any excuse you can to return to those worlds, even if you know just for an hour or so. I will always encourage you to go back to Oblivion because I always do. Almost every year, I go back to play a few hours of it. I've already played over 100 and some odd hours of Oblivion already. So as someone who absolutely loves Oblivion and it's his favorite, as you can see right above my head, that Oblivion, what it means to me as far as the game is concerned. And the story in Kingdoms of Amalur is it's all right. It gets enough to keep you driving on enough. The real draw is the gameplay as far as whether you want to use an arrow, sword, daggers, spells, whatever you want to do. It's so fluid and it's just so fun to play even today that that's really what gets me going when it comes to Kingdoms of Amalur. And anybody who has never delved into it, be kind to the graphics. Kind of go ahead and give that a pass because it is a 2012 game. But the gameplay is well worth your time, and there's hours upon hours upon hours upon hours of gameplay that awaits you if you go ahead and check out Kingdoms of Amalur Re-Reckoning today. What consoles can we find this on? Absolutely, that's a great question. So if you want to check it out, it's available on digital or hard copy today for PlayStation 4, Xbox One, or PC. My friend, it's been a great episode. I do want to thank Jeff Perlman, author of the number one sports biography book, Three Ring Circus. If you want to go ahead, I've got links that I will post for not only the Amazon, but also as well the Barnes & Noble places to get it. So if you want to go ahead and check that out, please do so today. It's an awesome book. I've had a great time reviewing it. Hopefully, speaking of books, I will also be reading off my Kindle Congratulations, You Suck by Josh Peterson. So hopefully that'll be a great time as well. So I have to give him an update next time we meet. But before we head on out, my friend, 
I've always wanted to do this. Always wanted to do this. So here it comes, my friend. It's a live unboxing of what Turtle Beach sent me. What's in it? I do not know. Well, I kind of know, but I kind of don't. They just said we're sending you some stuff. So, all right. I had a great conversation with the guys there and also the PR reps for Turtle Beach recently at Techfluence. So, in I guess a way that what they want to go ahead and have me review some things or a thing from Turtle Beach. I've got this box I got the other day. So, I've always wanted to do this on live videos. So, I've got this right now. Doing a live unboxing as you're hearing it right now. I don't know if this is great radio, my friend, or not, but I'm going to try and do my best here. So I appreciate everybody listening to me as I break this open. My old shipping days when you don't have a knife, use a pen. So, or keys. What's in the box? What's in the box? Oh, my goodness. All right, here we go. And again, I want to thank Turtle Beach and also Eric out at, I think, Step 3 PR, if I'm not mistaken, going ahead and getting this to me. Here we go. Turtle Beach, the Rocket Elo line, 7.1 USB headphones right here, number one. Whoa, have, some headphones. Yep. You've got the wireless Turtle Beach Stealth 700 series. So, wait, how many were in the box? There's more. The Stealth oh. 600 series is also right here. And last right. but not least, the stand from Turtle Beach to go ahead and hold up your headset. So I am really stoked right now. I feel like it's Christmas morning. I got to go open up a lot of great stuff. Again, I want to give a big shout out to Eric from Step 3 PR and also Turtle Beach and Rocket. This is the Stealth 700 wireless, the 7.1 ELO from Rocket, aka Turtle Beach. That's right here. Alas, but certainly not least, the Stealth 600 from Turtle Beach. So I'm going to go ahead and review these out. I know there's an embargo date, so I won't be uh, actually giving a review out until probably after the first. I think that's what the embargo is. But I'm telling you, my friend, these are some fancy Dan. They look like it. Yeah, I know. Next time we record, I'm going to be like looking around because I'll hear you like in my office here. <laughs> Gerald? Are you here? Yeah, Gerald, am I here? These are the Rocket Elo 7.1 USB headphones right here. I think these are the ones that are still under embargo. You'll hopefully get to see my thoughts as early as this week on not only this, the 6 and 700. Since it's three units, I'm going to make sure I prioritize the one first that they want me to, and then I'll go ahead accordingly. But please check us out at popculturecosmos.com for my thoughts on all three of these headsets when I am able to go ahead and put them out there. Plus, also, you, I will go ahead and share my thoughts either on the Pop Culture Cosmos or PCC Multiverse coming up. So, <sighs> looking good, oh, man. Yeah. My work's cut out for me. Yeah, I got lots of listening to do now. Lots of listening indeed. But again, I want to give a big shout out to Turtle Beach and also as well, Step 3 PR from Eric. Thank you so much for going ahead and sending that out to me. And if you got some love out there for Turtle Beach, please share it today or Rocket, R-O-C-C-A-T or Turtle Beach. Give them some love today. All right, my friend, it's been a great episode. Cannot thank you enough as always for being a part of it. Any last thoughts on the way out? 
None that I can think of. I got another uh, review from our friends over at Mega Cat Studios coming out this week for Yazzie. So be on the lookout for that. Well, we're just reviewing all the stuff left and right. My goodness. We get in those bunches where we're just like giving a whole bunch of stuff and they send it over and they said, here, review it now, now, now. Yep. Yeah. Just trying to get through that back catalog. So, uh, yeah. I mean, also check out my review of Jurassic Park now online. Absolutely. And again, Arcageous Revolution, correct? Correct. On the popculturecosmos.com. Absolutely. Check it out today. Like he said, popculturecosmos.com. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. This is another beautiful day in paradise right here in the Pop Culture Cosmos. Thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great It was Sean and the podcast about mankind. The Soul Forge podcast was a dream given form. Its goal? To prevent fear by creating a place where humans and aliens could work out their differences peacefully. It's a pod for all, with topics including love, loss, sex, dating, and so much more. Humans and aliens wrapped in the ESO network all alone in the night. It can be a dangerous place, but it's our last best hope for peace. The year is 2020. The name of the place... Soulforge Podcast. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the T Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos and stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos.